Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Hiya. Oh. How be you? I'm all right. Uh, hopefully the folks at home are all right as well. I am Tim Harvey. Yes, I'm Dustin. And this is Zompocalypse Now. It is. Or and... sci-fi for me and horror for me. Oh, those, those, yes. We had originally <laughs> planned to talking about two shows a couple episodes ago. Um, and then we had, oh, just audio issues with the first recording for our, our first recording, the first episode of, of Dead of Summer. Oh, we did? Yeah. So we're going to have to give a brief recap of the whole premise of the oh. show anyway, which won't be too hard, considering I, that the premise yeah. of the show is actually... <laughs> Every bad '80s horror, every bad camp '80s film. cliche. Grown. Uh, so it's on Freeform. Yes, which used to be ABC Family, right? Which used to be the Family Channel. Mm-hmm. So basically, the premise of the show is that it's a summer camp. Yes, that has spooky days. Apparently, just re- is just reopening. Reopening after four years because th- bad things happened four yes. years ago, and so the. The new camp director, who is played by Elizabeth Mitchell, Elizabeth Mitchell, who's from, gorgeous. She's a beautiful woman. From she's uh, everything. She was on Lost. Once um, upon a time. Once upon a time. Um, um, oh yeah, uh, V the the V yes. reboot. Uh, she's Which definitely I she, liked. I liked parts of it. I don't um, care what anybody said. I like. She's that definitely show. she's definitely a great one of the better genre actresses we have right now. She's uh, a delight. She's a delight. Uh, she and and she was a. A counselor at the camp in the seventies. Yes, and she's come back. Oh, so I'm sorry. The show is set in 1989. This yes. is important. Yes, it's important. Um, so she has come back to to run the camp, and she hired the last year of students, the 1984 kids, to be the 1989 counselors. Right. And they have just basically hired every cliche. From the 80s, plus a time traveler, which Ex- I mentioned last time. Yes. Um, so we've got the preppy dick. Right. We've got the stoner. Yes. We've got the uh, the chubby best friend. Mm-hmm. We have the slutty girl. Right. We have... We have the new girl. The new girl, who is also... She falls into new the new girl in town category, plus the pretty blonde, perpetually on the verge of tears category. Right. Also which, also with a, with a deep secret. Yes, which is always, like, every horror movie has that character. Mm-hmm. Pretty she blonde. Usually, she usually becomes the final girl. Yes. Um, and then we have um, the girl dressed as a boy and pretending to be a boy. Who is clearly a girl clearly in every girl, single shot. no one the... acknowledges it's right. a girl. Everyone is convinced that she's a boy. Yes. Oh, and we have the, the videographer, which is not 80s trope. No, but, but his camera is magic. Yes. Because the battery power on a 1989... And we actually we actually looked we actually looked it up. <laughs> we looked it, it up. It's a, it's a period. It's we're... a period camera. Yeah, but the battery power on that camera is nowhere near as good as this camera has the ability. Not to mention the picture is nowhere near as yeah. good. That is an amazing. That's an HD camera in a time when there was no such right. thing. But he, the... ironically enough, is not the time traveler. He's not the time traveler. Is the out and proud gay teen? Now there were out and proud gay people in like nineteen eighty nine. Yes. Um, because but, they were all involved in ACT UP, 
and they had no choice because our, our lives were on the line. And remember, this is the era of AIDS. This is right. the era of, in 1989, um, when I was in college in 1989, the, my friends, there were, there were my, my gay friends in the theater department who were out. But that was the theater department. And my, I had friends in high school who were out. They were, again, theater department. They were, they were in the arts. Right. But out in general public around the normal world, quote unquote, normal world. Around, sorry, around the straights. Around the straights. Um, the idea, no. This, no. This, I mean, this kid, is, this kid is glee level. Yes. Uh, out. And, and there's nothing wrong with the character. It's just that right. he's clearly from the future. Now, and, but they had to throw in an LGBT because it's modern times we're telling the story in modern times and that's kind of a requirement now to an audience As, who was not born in the 80s right especially on freeform it used to be abc family one of abc family's favorite things to do was just inundate their shows with gay characters because they knew that richard dobson was just like spinning in his coffin before losing he came his, out losing his mind but, so, yeah so anyway but he's our time traveler because this just wouldn't happen now a lot of you might say, well, they've got a trans character because the girl dressed as a boy is obviously the trans character. Here is a thing, though. In the 80s, it was actually a trope. It was actually a thing that was done in more than one movie mm -hmm. yeah. of a girl dressing as a boy to do something. She was not. She did not have a trans identity. And right now, we're calling her Drew because that's the name she's going for. We're not going to call her she we're going to call her she because right. right now we're operating under the assumption that she is a trope character and not an actual trans character. Hey, there's no indication at this point that she is a trans character. Right. She is, there is every indication that she is the 1980s trope of a girl pretending to be a boy for reasons. Yes. Whatever and those reasons may be. So, you know, when I, when I tweet this out to Heather Hogan, who I love, who is another TV recapper... Please don't get mad at me, Heather, when I say Drew. She, when referring to Drew, because I'm doing it because I, not as trans erasure, but because I firmly believe that by mid-season, last couple episodes of this season, we're going to get Drew coming out as a woman and saying, and this is why I dressed up this way, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the reason is not going to be because I feel like I am really a boy. It is going to be some reason aside from that. Now, if I am wrong, it, well, no. If you're if you're wrong, uh, and you and we, yes, we could both be wrong in this. But I don't mm -hmm. think we are because so much it fits so much in the in the basic yes. structure of the show that this would be a, that this would be a character. And and quite frankly, there's just nothing there to indicate yet, especially when at the end of episode one. When they do the big Drew is actually a girl reveal, right? It's not that she is bound in any sort of way. She's wearing a sports bra, right? So, and you know her hair is still long, and there's a lot of things to me that indicate that this character is not presenting as trans, right? And well, I also think that that while clearly we've 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 brought in a character who is. You know, again, there were there were out and and comfortable, comfortably out gay men and women in the yes, late eighties, but they were rare. Mm -hmm. And so, for a modern audience to see that, okay, it's you know, for the kids who weren't alive during that period, who are the, who are the target audience? We right. are not the target audience of this show. We, we kind of are, but we aren't. Yeah. Um. But. 
for the for the folks who or who are the age group that this is really aimed at, they may they may not know that, right? right. It, may, it may not may not register the way that it is for somebody who lived through that time period. Um, and it, but it's I. I mean, we again, we could be wrong. I just don't think we are. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those it's just one of those things that's too it's too obvious for me that we are about we're going to get at one point the explanation because because episode one sets up all these characters oh and we've got the hunky deputy hunky deputy who thinks something's amiss right and oh we 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 briefly had the uh terrifying groundskeeper which is about the amount of time the terrifying groundskeeper would have been around in a horror film sure this is very this is structured very much like a horror film Mm -hmm. so the basic premise in fact the opening the opening scene of the first episode is we got tony todd playing who is who's a trope on his own yeah yeah and, let's and, just be honest and he's an he's an amazing trope i mean tony, yeah. tony todd tony todd elevates mm-hmm. the horror quotient of anything when he shows up he's dressed in like 1800s uh out clothing and yeah. he's playing the piano in this little in this little cottage where no one is there where there's there and there's bodies floating in the lake and people try and come and get him and he, he they can't get him off the piano and yeah. it's just this like well clearly this is a this place has some issues, right? And then it turns out to be a summer camp, and because of course it is, of course. Oh, and and um, uh, Elizabeth Mitchell Mitchell is playing her character's name is Carpenter, right? So there's so many nod, there's so many so, nods to, to to the horror history in here. Right. That again, I think there's a good chunk of the target audience who sit there and go, "I don't know who that is." Yeah, they're not going. It's flying over a lot of people's heads. But the moms who, when their 14 year old said, "I want to watch Dead of Summer," uh, said, "All right, but I'm not going to let you watch it until I watch it with you." <laughs> the mom sitting in that show, watching that show, was like us. She was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Oh my God! Really? <laughs> like my childhood all over again. These are the, you know, and, and and that's okay. Actually, there's a there is a certain charm to that era of horror films. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it was the era where you know if you were a teenager and you had sex, you, you were going to die. Right. Um, it was an era where um, the hair was way too big. Right. None of the people, none of the girls on this show, their hair is big enough. Right. That's but, true. You know. Well, and. Every you know this this is also the era of Pretty in Pink, right? And the Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. and um, the first Die Hard. True. The first uh, the bat the Michael Keaton Batman. Uh huh. Which so. <laughs> that was the best part <laughs> of episode one of Dead of Summer was that the the chubby best friend character um, was reading a Rolling Stone magazine with Michael Keaton's face on it, like the new Batman. And the way she held the magazine so that you could see the <laughs> cover was like no human on earth has ever read a magazine this way. It literally is the shot where you could hear the director of photography, director of photography saying, raise it a little higher. A little higher. Raise it a little higher. Becky, a little higher. There you go. Okay, good. And <laughs> it's not, nobody reads like that. Yeah. But it is right there. It's like, oh, look. Here's what year it is. We're in 1989. Uh, Don't you forget it's it. It's a way to do it. So they 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 all meet um, at the same time, and they're going to ride a bus out to the camp. Right. And so we get to introduce ourselves to the to the characters and get the bonding moments and the I haven't seen you in years uh-huh. stuff, and and find out how you know 
they all used to be friends and the new girl shows up yeah and they're like who are you i'm the new girl her name is cricket no cricket is the cricket's the brunette she's the chubby friend are you sure yep cricket is the oh right chubby friend okay. um so then they go to the camp which mysteriously no they have not gone to before two days before it opens yeah which i actually was a counselor to summer camp you don't say. It was true. Well, yes, before it was a Boy Scout camp. <laughs> and there is no way you did that. Nobody does that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But this way, this way, of course, they can. Yeah. They, they can all have the same creepy things happen to them right. all at the same and time. And the whole first episode is flashbacks to to blonde girls, uh, da- you know, damaged past where she where she was the new girl in school and she made friends with this girl and and her and and they snuck out to a party one night and then there was a raid by the police and they were trying to escape and the girl fell out of a three-story window and that's the girl who actually wanted to go to camp but then blonde girl ended up going instead or well she they, she they were going to go together well. and so yeah. she's, she's going to camp and i guess in memory of her dead friend yes uh, and then this episode, we got to see Alex, the douchey preppy guy's right. Backstory. And we got his flashback. And it occurs to me as I'm watching this episode, this is lost. I was for teenagers. about to say, yes. they're gonna lost the f- out of us. This is this is lost for teenagers. I am watching on TBS the show called Wrecked. Yeah, which is what if Lost was full of morons? <laughs> it is so funny. Is it? Because, like, it's the plane bound for Thailand, crash lands on an island, all the people are idiots. Um, it's so funny. So, But this is, you're right, this is lost for teenagers. Well, and what's interesting is, of course, we have Elizabeth Mitchell actually right. here for it. But, we I mean, the Tony Todd is the smoke monster. Yeah. And we're getting the flashback structure. This is, uh, Alex is Sawyer. He's Sawyer from Lost. Okay. He's the he's the bad boy with the bad past. He's going to try and do the right thing at some point, but right now he's the bad boy. Mm-hmm. Although I don't really trust Alex to do the right thing, especially after this episode. He's <laughs> kind of a horrible human being. Yeah. Um, what was... And of course, this episode is the first day of camp. Right. And we've had these like flirtatious thing going on, and all of these characters have decided they're going to pair off. Yeah. Or try and pair off. But, of is, course, the bolt, you know... Well, this is a crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. I'm watching this, going, "You guys haven't seen each other in years. Why are you upset that New Girl and Alex are flirting with each other? Right? Why do you care? I mean, I remember being a teenager. I remember having you know plenty of crushes on people, well, but okay. you know, years go by. Yeah, but see, I will, I will, I will say to you mm. that Alex has a pleasing face and torso. And if (laughs) I were a chubby best friend Mm -hmm. and I had feelings for him when I was a child Mm -hmm. and arrived to meet him again and was like, oh, he's he's now has a super pleasing face and torso. And then all of a sudden here comes this blonde who like looks like she's about to weep and he's all like, Oh, I wanna be with the blonde. I might be a little miffed. Well, but she's not the only one. She he's also got braces. Right. Braces who used to be ugly but is now slutty. But yeah, and she's she's already gone away to college. Oh right. So I think she, they're all in their eighteens and nineteens. So she's a she's a she's a sexy girl who is clearly has a sexual bent. 
who has gone away to college, and she's coming back to summer camp, and she's going to be all like, my feelings are hurt because you're a jerk for somebody from years ago? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not getting in the way of my enjoying this ridiculous show. Because it is a ridiculous show. It's just, just great. But it's one of those things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having the problem that as somebody who, you know, as you and I have done for several years now, do not stare directly at the right. plot or the characters because you will go mad. Yes. Um, sit back, relax, revel in the insanity that exactly. this is, this show. Because the last, the first episode, we had a disemboweled cow. Mm. And then a we had round- a- Drowned groundskeeper. Yes. Uh, a fire in a cabin that did not burn the entire camp and forest to the ground. Right. So this fire should have completely just killed everyone. And there should be like thousands of acres burned. Two should have started thousands of acres burned. Horrible property damage. It's burned out of cabin. Six idiot teenagers dead in fire. Yes. Um, but instead, uh, they did survive. Mm-hmm. And there's a mystery, and people are seeing things. So at the end of the so, so the things. our new our new girl has begun to see visions of things, spooky, very spooky things. Oh, I'm so, sorry. We also left out the the unrequited uh, lust of our, our young black actor with the camera, oh, right. the cameraman, who is lusting after Elizabeth Mitchell. Because why not? I mean, I I understand this completely. She's a very lustable. Um, uh, She's person. beautiful. She's woman. a beautiful woman. However. On one hand, she's kind of like, come here, come here, come here, come here, go away, go away. Yeah. Come here, come here, come here, go away, go away. Okay. Right. Well, she, you know, she doesn't know if she wants to be the Mrs. Robinson trope or not. Right. Well, and she, of course, has her own mysteries because right. she had something buried in the woods and she went and found it, despite the fact she had plenty of time before the kids showed up to go dig up this thing, whatever it is. She waited until they were there, you know, wandering around the camp to, yeah. to dig, go in the middle of the night and dig things up. So second episode. Yes. Alex, we find out that he was from Russia. Right. His name was Alexei. Mm-hmm. And his dad worked for a dry cleaner. And he was a dick. And we also learned that this show takes place in a parallel universe. Because in 1989, no person was going around going, you commie. Yeah. <laughs> we were, well, wasn't it the height of the Cold War? Well, it like... was the end of the Cold War. I mean, Tiananmen Square was 1989. Oh. So it's, I mean, yeah, the Berlin Wall was still up, but we weren't, you know, it was, uh, I mean, it was the Reagan years, sure, but it wasn't the, we weren't getting things like you, people weren't saying things like you commie. Okay. You know, it was just, a, it was a different, it, There, yes, the tensions were there, but it was, this, that's, you know, that's like 1960s speak over here. Okay. You know? Well, whatever. it was it was really weird for me to watch that going, um... Okay, sure. That doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Again, you know, eh. in the context of this, he's the bad boy from the other place. Yes. Um, and apparently, he decided he's going to get his revenge on the terrible dry cleaner who employed right. his father, who, who broke his father down. And so he does that. <laughs> he goes to work for him. He goes and cleans up his act. Becomes like Mister Young, respectable. Goes to work for him. Ditches the accent. And you know, like. Tapes him having sex with the young hottie that works for him. Also from Russia. Yes, and then threatens to release the tape to his wife if he doesn't give him clothes. Pretty much, it's the most it's the most tawdry, pointless, lamest revenge plan I think I may have ever seen. Right. Um, But whatever, they're teenagers. So, 
Meanwhile, the kids have showed up for camp. Yes. Right. So we have all these little kids around. And one of them is a fresh from Russia child. Right. In fact, based on the ages of the children that we see, uh-huh. I'm not sure how long ago these kids were at camp. Because almost all the kids we see are clearly much, much younger than the actors who are playing the returning well, camps. Well, I thought, I mean, I never went to actual official summer camp. But I thought the thing was you started going when you were in like sure, but do you see fourth these? or fifth grade, and you went and you went and you went until you were like fifteen or sixteen. But do you see anybody there who looks like they're fifteen or sixteen? And the kids who were there, they're all like you know, they all well anyway, they, they all seem like they're too young to me. But okay, um, so one of the kids, uh, also from from Russia. Alex sees himself in him and, like, tries to help him, but he starts having visions and portents. Of the tall man, Tony mm-hmm. Todd. Yes. In the woods. In the woods. Telling him things. Yes. Which everyone sits there and goes, oh, he's just imagining. It's just his imaginary friend. Right. Meanwhile, there's a drug dealer skulking about mm-hmm. named Damon Crowley. <laughs> oh, and he wears a pentagram. And oh, it's just like, oh wow! I just the it's writers. Perfect. Are, I'm, I'm, I'm guarantee you the writers are sitting in the writing room going, "No, wait, wait! I got a name for it." Yes, yeah. let's do it. Oh, it's it, they got to be having a blast. So, um, so the kid wanders off one night. First of all, he wanders off during the day, right? And they find him, uh, and Elizabeth Mitchell is like Alex and Stoner kid. You just better not with the losing of the tiny children, or I'm gonna just be so mad that my nipples are not even gonna show through my tank top, and and and, and maybe and you'll get fired. Yeah, and so they're like, okay, we gotta watch these kids, and so Alex takes Weepy Girl on a little date. Oh God, to let's, an let's, abandoned let's, cabin. We have to take a moment to talk about the cabin. So this okay. is the cabin that Tony Todd had the piano in. Uh-huh. It is a completely preserved cabin that Tony Todd had the piano in from like a hundred years ago. Yeah. And and Alex walks in and is like, I went to camp here for many years and I never noticed that this was here. So um our our Alex and and New Girl are in this perfectly preserved cabin. Perfectly preserved cabin. And a perfectly tuned piano. Yes. That has been left there. And they're wearing white, by the way, <laughs> in this in this filthy, dust-covered, yes. rodent, and bug-infested cabin. But see, again, I feel like, I feel like in a way, the, that, though, that stuff, too, is a nod I know. to 80s horror. Yeah. Because it's just so cliche, like... You know, these kids, like, first of all, number one, why would you bring a yachting sweater to summer camp? Oh, yeah, because this kid, cause this guy has, Alex has been taking these clothes, and in one of the most obvious draw attention to me moments I think I've seen in a long time, he waits till he's, like, taking the clothes out of his suitcase at camp to cut off the la- the names from the... Mm-hmm. Which is just okay, perfect. sure, perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's it's a pretty amazing bit that they right. are sitting there in this in this uh, filthy filthy space. Yes, <laughs> like, oh. playing the piano. 
And then Alex's grandfather's ghost appears and he sees him. And, which comes back later because, because uh, well, Stoner loses, loses little Russian kid. And so they all have to go looking for him because because Alex said you can you can take care of this on your own. I you cover for me as I sneak out and, and have my little date thing. Yeah, yeah. What's her butt? Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> Alex, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the episode the uh, the human sentai pad episode of South mm-hmm. Park is playing right. on my TV, and I just kind of looked at it for a second and I laughed. Anyway. Um, Because we know the actress and from Human Centipede. Yes. Oh, Ashlyn. Yes. Anyway, um, I don't even remember (laughs) what I was saying. Oh, it's kind of well. It's kind of that. It it is that trope. It is that. So he's got the. He's got the. uh, The he goes off to on the date, and Stoner guy stays behind. The kids on a raid to the girls' cabin. Right, and discovers that uh, you know the kids are gone. And meanwhile, meanwhile, even though neither of them are in the girls' cabin, or why I I don't understand. Like, so Alex and Stoner Kid were the the counselors for Cabin Ten, or whatever number. So they led the raid. But when they got to the girls' cabin, Drew and Gay Kid are both there already, just like hanging out. I think this would be one of those things where if we actually were to try and graph the locations of where things are, it'd be like a Walking Dead location thing uh-huh. where things don't work. Yeah. Except, except it's meant to be. Except it's, you know, yeah, meant to be terrible here. Right. <laughs> so anyway, they go out into the woods at night to try and find the kid because he's escaped into the woods at night. And uh, and it's bad when small children go wander off into the woods. Sure, admittedly, um, Walking Dead. <laughs> so, so they they find him, and he's sitting on this grave marker, surrounded by. And there's these three giant stone, yeah, spheres. And so Elizabeth Mitchell brings them all back to camp, and she's like, "This kid was seeing things, and he was having hallucinations." And all these things are happening, and nobody thought to tell me, is anyone else seeing anything? And literally all of the characters stop. And are like, no. And one of the least convincing knows. Right. And we, when we know at least two of them, because Blonde Girl had one first episode. Her whole episode was having bizarre visions. Right. And, and Alex Alex has. had one tonight. And then, so, Elizabeth Mitchell is all like, I am firing one of you two kids. Have a good night. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, disappears. So. As opposed to sitting there going, you're both fired right now. Right. Officers, please arrest these morons for child yes. endangerment. Um, yeah. So, Alex decides he's not going to uh, be the one to take the fall. Right. So, because Stoner has waited to go to summer camp. To meet up with a guy who he only should know through summer camp in a time when he would have had to have called this guy on the phone. A phone connected to a wall. And a long distance phone call, which would have cost him. That he'd have to look up in a phone book. A lot of money in those days. Um, Or ask, oh, ask directory assistance. (laughs) Jeez. Um, It's a good thing he dies at the end of this episode. 
Well, we think Maybe. he does. But anyway, he uh, so yeah, he waits till he goes to, to connect with uh, Damon Crowley. Oh God! <laughs> um, and he buys liquid acid from him. Um, now I admit, um, I knew a fair number of drug people in college. I don't know anyone mm-hmm. who ever bought liquid acid, but whatever. I didn't think that they uh, that drug dealers did liquid acid until the nineties. Like I don't think they they dealt in liquid acid. Because that was like wholesale shit. I thought that acid went on the little stand. Little blotters, yeah. Until you sold it. And then like in the 90s when club culture became a big thing. And like the whole expand your mind become a... Mm-hmm. That's when the liquid acid started. It certainly could be. I, I confess that I did not have a particularly um, exciting... Pharmacological experience in college. No, I didn't either. We drank a lot. I didn't even drink. And we I drank was a lot, so but we didn't. Boring. We didn't do. Uh, uh, didn't do much of the drugs. So, anyway, he he drugs the kid. We have a a kind of terrible face melting effect, which they were very proud of and showed us in the making of at the end of. Oh, that's the best thing about these episodes. So at the end of every episode, they do a how, why, how, or why this thing was done, right? So that they can explain to the fourteen-year-old watching what symbolism is, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the whole, the whole. Oh my! There's a like five scenes in the first episode where the blonde chick is having people like ghosts reach their hands out to her, mm-hmm. and so their whole thing, their whole behind the scenes at the end was like. Um, she has the hands reaching out because she regrets not being able to to save her friend. Right. And so that's why the ghost hands reach out to her so that they can explain to the that fourteen year old sitting there on the couch with her mother, going, "Mom, what's about the hands and the zombies oh, in this show? I my. thought there were zombies in this show." So anyway, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. amazing. So he freaks out and goes running off into the woods. Digs up the body. Which digs up the body of the tall man, yes. uh, Tony Todd's body, which, interestingly enough, you know, if he had not been given the drugs, would he have dug up Tony Todd's body? No. So Alex secretly works for the... No, wait, that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, he freaks out. Uh, um, Elizabeth Mitchell says, dude, you're out of here. Yeah. And everybody has the sad walk away moment yes where it's like i feel really bad that was weird like they didn't even drive this kid to the bus station right come on well and then they uh uh of course he knows that alex basically set him up Mm -hmm. and And he drops the dime on alex and we have this great vintage 80s it was all a bet i can't believe that i was a bet uh moment there that is and everybody almost has this like girl power bonding moment mm-hmm. where everyone's like, see, we told you he's a terrible guy. Um, but of course, it's all a ruse. And because the, yeah. both of those, the old camp girls, not old, they're young, beautiful girls, but both of the original camp girls want new girl to like leave their men's alone. Right, even we though... We staked our claim on these men's when we were 12. <laughs> yeah, jeez, I know, that whole scene... 
Um, but then Stoner goes and wanders off, walking home. And he hears a noise, and he turns around. And there's Tony Todd looking all scary-like. Which I assume is just what Tony Todd looks like in real life. I, I, I At this point in, in, his, in my feelings... I just imagine that Tony Todd, they, he just showed up on set. And they were like, oh, Tony Todd's here. Maybe we should put him in this this show. And then they were like, okay, sure. Like, should we get him any wardrobe? No. Just leave him in what he's wearing now. He's been there the whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah he's actually, Tony Todd's amazing. Um, but then we have uh, uh, something happening behind uh, Stoner. Uh, he screams, mm-hmm. and apparently the implication is that his, he has is, he is died terribly. Yes. And dun, he probably dun, did. Dun. But we don't know. We don't know. But so- I really do hope this is one of those shows that ends up with all the characters dead at the end. I would love that. I think there's a potential that they could, because it is it is so... Goofy and bizarre and insane. And I have to say that if they're... If they, I really, really hope that we are watching this in the spirit we are meant to be watching. This. Oh, I hope I, I, I have a feeling that we are. And I, because I, I would be very, very saddened to know that somebody is treating this as we have written the great young adult horror television series set in a summer camp. Right. You know, um, they, they. I mean, that can't possibly be the case. Oh, no. there's. I mean, there's just I too much. Just, so. I can't imagine that is um, the truth. But who knows? But yeah, so we 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 we've been entertained. We are we are the right age to to find the humor in this, to find yeah. the uh, to look at this and go, this was our kind of childhood. Yeah. So, um, on the other hand, over on preacher, white guys with problems. Uh, things have gotten. Things have gone awry. Gone, gone very awry. <laughs> uh, for for those of you who will who will recall last episode, Dustin, Dustin wept openly for uh, the departure Eugene. of Eugene. And this ep- episode opens up not even seconds after that happened, right? Because the paper is still falling toward the ground that Eugene had in his hand mm-hmm. when he was sent to hell. And we get that longer shot of Jesse's face, and we uh-huh. see that it's not really a smirk as much as it is almost like oblivious disbelief. It's like it's like he, for the right there, his brain is just not processing yeah. it. Yeah, it's not accepting it. What just happened? Because he goes on to give the sermon, right? But at the end, when he would have used the God voice, he completely he fizzles. Does it? Probably, I mean, that's the first. I think that's one of the few signs we actually get through the episode that he's. It, on one hand, we see a lot of him more or less just shutting himself off from everybody, yeah. and almost pretending it's not happening. But then you have those little moments where it's like it's clear that it's there and it's resonating inside his head, but he just doesn't know what to do with it. Well, this this episode played a lot more for me than any other episode as a play because they never leave the church characters come in and do things interact with them inside the church Mm -hmm. and it's a very character driven piece of melodrama about jesse and his either acceptance or rejection of his circumstance and i tweeted out then at the night dusto uh, that in 
Hamlet for centuries, since that play was written, mm-hmm. there have been debates among scholars as to whether or not Hamlet is the villain of his own story. Because if you look at the actions that Hamlet, Hamlet takes to achieve his his goal, they're all awful. He makes oh, yeah. not a single humane decision in that whole play, uh, which has led some people to believe that this is the first, like, like anti-hero. Because, okay, you could say that maybe Macbeth was an anti-hero, but he was straight-up villain. He was the villain of the piece. Sure. You can't really argue that. But Hamlet was the one we're supposed to be identifying. He's our character. He's our guy. Right. But he's... Just so awful, and oh, yeah, he does yeah. awful things, and so you know he's the debate is for centuries and centuries is Hamlet the villain? Yes, well, also no, because there's a larger villain in Hamlet, right? I would argue at this point in preacher that Jesse, like we said last week, Jesse is the villain. Mm-hmm. And even though Odin Kincannon is rumbling around in the background. Right. Killing people. Killing people. Finding meat bizarrely attractive. Yes. I would still say that Jesse is the more evil of the two because he has taken this power and wielded it in such a, sh- a selfish way. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like he didn't even sit down and like make a list or like try and figure out like okay, wording has to be a thing. Nothing. He was just like, right. Well, and he's not he's not questioning himself at all mm-hmm. when it comes to this. It's not like should I use this power? Yeah. Or you know what what are the effects? What what could happen here? Yes. He's not. He's, none of that is crossing his mind. Right. It's it's a really bizarre kind of blind faith that he has. Yes, and it's also very interesting because it's not a, what he's doing. I think you could argue; very, it would be really hard to argue that it would is remotely having anything to do with yeah. following Jesus's teaching. Right? Hey, did you did you like how I just like busted out some Hamlet? That was very nice. Yeah, I'm educated as f- Tim. <laughs> like. I know I come off as like this, like you know, like oh puppies and and weird non sequiturs, but like I I went to college, I got, I got things, I got books, I got books on my shelf. Well, yes, there are. I can I, I can see them from here. As a matter of fact, <laughs> and they're not all comic. They're books. not all comic books. So anyway, um, how long came Polly? This is such a good movie. <laughs> Not what we're talking about right anyway, now. Anyway, yes. Um, so it he gives the he gives the the sermon, sermon, and everyone likes it. Oh yeah, sure. And it's it's a fine sermon, and he you know sits there and and clearly fizzles at the end, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very very clear, and the camera just lingers on the spot that Eugene was, uh huh, or and, would be, or and it's pretty much everybody is like you know everyone in, you know his, Eugene's father is keenly aware that Eugene there's an empty space in the pew, the camera keeps coming back to that space as we watch people walk over it, mm-hmm. um, and it's shot from above, so it's yeah. not it's not like you know it's like right if you you go down go down and he's 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 going further down and go further down beyond that, um, and. 
Cassidy sees all. Cassidy, it turns out Cassidy has seen everything. Uh, yeah, he's seen, he's seen Eugene go to hell. Mm-hmm. And so he tries to talk to Jesse about it, and Jesse's like, "No, nope. uh, what, what's wrong? What do you mean? Uh, everything's no, fine. I don't have anything to say to you." Uh, and Jesse starts having flashbacks, or at least we—I don't know if he's necessarily having flashbacks. We're seeing his past. Yes, uh, where uh, he and Tulip, which that's a show coming to AMC Kids, uh, <laughs> little Jesse and Tulip, uh, they got in a fight at school, and and Tulip bit somebody's nipple off, and so which um, uh, is. The, the the two child actors are really good at this. Yes. They were they were both adorable and a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. So they're like, Tulip, where's your mama? And she's like, in jail. Okay, where's your uncle? He drunk. Okay, so Jesse's dad takes Tulip in, and she stays there for a period of time. Mm-hmm. We're not a hundred percent how long, but long enough that we actually can see that. Jesse and Tulip are forming a bond, a very a much stronger bond than they, you know, a much a very strong bond. Right. In fact, there's she she comes to see him. Well, in the middle of the night, she comes and crawls into his bed, uh-huh. and she says, "Tell the end of the world," and then makes him say, "Tell the end of the world" as well. So that yeah. there's usually something that usually the the words that precede "tell the end of the world" mm-hmm. are "I will love you." Right. Um, so, how much? I mean, yes, they're children, but the the emotional bond between them is very strong. Is very strong, and and Jesse fighting against it at this later stage in his life is this all part of the yeah the the foolish fight he is he's having right now. Right. So then Jesse's dad, not wanting to raise this child, which is sort of understandable. Honestly, but he also blames it on her own family history, right? That she uh, so he calls child services on her. Yeah, and they come and take her away, and Jesse's super angry, and so he goes to bed that night and prays that God kill his father and send him to hell, which is a great uh, uh, callback to Eugene, and that just so happens to be the night that. People show up at the house to kill his father. <laughs> and in the comic, that's Jesse's grandmother coming to take Jesse home because her, it's, there's a whole family there's a whole family thing going on with Jesse's family. Okay, where Jesse's life is about to become a living hell. So whether we since we have departed so much from the comic, who knows what it's going to be at this point? But if that's the case, uh, then the child actor is getting to go go through some pretty horrific stuff here. Coming up could be very very interesting, but in any event, they come, he hides under the bed, right? And they find him and take him out. And we see we get back to the scenes that we've seen before, where yeah. um, Jesse's dad says, you know, you got to be one of the good guys because there's so many bad guys in the world, and that Custers don't cry. Yeah. Um, and then we see the scene we haven't seen where Jesse says, "This is my fault. I prayed that this would happen." Yeah. Um, so back in the church, Odin decides to pay a visit to Jesse. Right. And he's like, oh, you know, how you doing? It's been a great, I miss, sorry, I miss church, but I've been busy murdering. Yeah. 
And uh, I just, yeah, I just wanted to uh, come by and have you sign over the deed to the church. And Jesse's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you came to church and you converted. And Odin's like, uh, no, I really didn't. No. And he's like, but you promised to serve God. And Odin's like, okay. And I think that that, again, I think we talked about this that day on that episode, like he Again, Jesse did not do his due diligence and figure out who God is right, to, to Odin. Odin. And the different, you know, there's a certain assumption that, you know. And the way that it's kind of presented, has been presented, there he is. There's Hank Azaria. The way yeah. it's presented, eyes back on the. <laughs> look at that. He is a comedian, and look at that I chest. will turn off this channel. Wonder if it, you cannot bring wonder yourself if we're to past focus. safe harbor enough for it to show his butt. Anyway. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we are media people. We're, we're easily distracted. Yeah. So that's one of those problems. Like Jesse is so nearsighted mm -hmm. that he didn't think. Oh, maybe telling Odin Kincannon to serve God with no other stipulation or or like instruction was a bad idea. And now that's chickens coming home to roost. Because Odin is not pleased. No. And he said he will be back. Yes. For the church. And of course, Jesse's also in this sort of traumatized state where he's, everything's, he's, he's like he's hearing the entire world uh -huh. through a filter. Right. And so his responses are, muted at best right but he is pretty much like you're not you can't have my church well you can't have my father's church mm -hmm. uh but yeah we get we get the the sense that again once again so much of this is being driven by his memory of his dad right and the promise to his father and then we have the world's most awkward <sighs> dinner where oh, it's cassidy at one end jesse at the other uh-huh and uh, then Tulip on one side and Admin Lady on the other. And it is... Tulip came over to cook dinner. And she manages to make hash browns the, with vanilla? Vanilla hash browns. Which I've never heard of. Bird's eye vegetables. Yes. And hamburgers. Right. And it is apparently, a, aside from the hash browns, a fairly tolerable meal. Hmm. But also, everybody eats the hash browns. Everybody, but they all kind of make. The, and there is such, there's almost this passive aggressive, almost I say, almost a passive aggressive uh, death match mm -hmm. between Tulip and Edmund Lady. Yeah, across the, and both being very polite, and it's kind of amazing and wonderful. Yes, <laughs> I have to tell you, Tim. Um, when I was in college, I had a friend who um, hated her stepmother. Hated her. Like fairy tale hate? Oh, just so much. They just hated each other. Mm -hmm. And there was an active, venomous disdain between the two of them. <laughs> and I once got to go to dinner at their house. Oh, wow. And then I got to sit at the table in between mm -hmm. these two women who hated each other. It was so good. 
<laughs> it was so wonderful to sit there and just like have these two women stare daggers at each other oh, while my. her dad ate like peas and meatloaf. He ignored it all, didn't he? And ignored it. Oh, yeah. It was just, and that's how I felt watching the scene. Like, it's just such a good kind of awkward and everybody's just holding it in and, just to make it through. And the tension is not just between Admin Lady and Tulip. It's also between Tulip and, and Cassidy because they've just had the conversation where Cassidy's like, I didn't tell Jesse about us. And Tulip's like, okay. And he goes, I didn't tell her we made, tell him we made love. And she's like, no, we didn't make love. Yeah. And, you know, she basically... I, and we didn't quite get it too because she says well did you tell him what you are and he goes of course I told him I told him about nine times and for a minute I was like no I could see that because Jesse basically has it's one sided conversations mm-hmm. Cassidy will tell him things and Jesse will sit there and go uh huh sure sure." and then completely not have heard a word um, but then uh, uh, Tulip's like you haven't told him have you and he's like no I haven't told him mm-hmm. and it's um it's very tense all the way around, yes. and finally, it's kind of all shattered by A, uh, the police chief comes by. And he's like, hey, have you seen Eugene? And, and he's clearly upset. And everybody just sits there like, nope. Of course, Tulip has no idea what may or may not have happened to Eugene. Right, because he doesn't know what, what Jesse, the ability Jesse has. And But Cassidy saw it, Jesse did it, and Admin Lady led Eugene in to see... Uh, right, and now she lies that she saw Eugene Lee. Which I don't understand. Well, no, I do. Yeah, she I, loves him. Yeah, but at the same... And she does, she kind of says that, I believe. She almost you know. said it tonight. She said, she said the next best thing. I've always believed in you. Yeah, and he's like, well, why? <laughs> why would you do that? That's a terrible idea. Um, so she... Well, basically, uh, the fire... And everything, and Cassidy can't take it anymore. Right. So he, Jesse goes outside, and Cassidy comes after him and smacks him in the face with a fire extinguisher. And it's just wonderful. And, you know, and admittedly, for a minute there, it it looks like it might have woken Jesse up. Yeah. And just, you know, been the physical blow that needed to smack him out of that, the mental fugue he's in right now. Right. Because Cassidy says, I saw what he did. I saw what you did. I saw that you sent the kid to hell. Um, you know, are what are you, you, you going to do, do about do? it? You have to try and bring him back. And Cass, then Jesse tells us what Eugene did, which is professed his love to, um, what's her name? Divot Girl. Divot Girl. And instead of, when she rejected him, instead of like nursing his wounds and and trying to move on with his life, he attempted murdered her. He was murder suicide. The idea, and, was. and then shot himself in the face. Right. So, um, in the comic, as I recall, it was just him. He. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was a Kurt Cobain inspired suicide attempt. Right. And so here, I remember I read that somewhere like years and years and years ago. He is a little bit at a borders. He is a little less innocent. From this, I mean, right. he's, um, but at the same time, 
everything that we've seen since he's come back, we since we've watched him on the show, mm-hmm. doesn't show any indication that he's a he's the kind of person who isn't trying to find some redemption and right. peace and a life. And especially his thing that he said last week, which is, you know, I don't want some magic fix to my problems. I want to earn my redemption. Right. Which was a lovely sentiment. And I think that he's really, because his whole thing, like he came talking to Jesse the very first time before any of this happened saying, I I feel like God hasn't forgiven me. I feel like I'm, I'm being ignored by God. Right. So, you know, he wants, Jesse or Eugene wants that. He wants to find, or wanted, who knows, uh, to find some sort of redemption. Well, I think he may get it because, and, and I, I, there's still a couple things to talk about, but it, we saw in the teaser for next week that Jesse asks, has anyone ever gone, gotten out of hell before? Mm-hmm. And one of the angels says yes, and the other one says no. Uh, or sorry, it flips it around. He says yeah. no, the other one says yes. So I think there may be a chance that we, he's going to go to hell and figure out a way to go to hell. Yeah. Uh, because what we haven't seen yet is what happens when the Saint of Killers dies. Because in the comic, he goes to hell and kills the devil. <laughs> um, and so, and that's how he basically gets the job. Right. So who knows what they're going to do here? But at the same time, I think as much as this show has departed, the fact that Eugene did make it through the end of the comic. The fact that we could actually get this journey to hell and rescue Eugene thing, which would be kind of awesome. Cassidy reveals what he is to Jesse. Mm -hmm. And he basically... Well, he hands him the fire extinguisher, and Jesse's like, what's this for? And he says, it's for me. I want to see if you're going to let another person burn. Right, and he explains that he's not innocent. Mm -hmm. And But at the same time... And then he walks out into the sun. And, of course, being a vampire, he kind of catches on fire. Bursts into flames. And then we see Jesse walk back into the kitchen, put the fire extinguisher down in front of Cassidy's empty chair. And then he's like, Tulip, did you know what he was? You did know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he looks over at Admin Lane. Did you know what he was? She says, I She's have like, I don't no know idea. anything. <laughs> I think she even says, I don't know anything. <laughs> she, she goes, why are you here, Tulip? Mm-hmm. And she says, I really don't know. And she leaves. And she leaves. And that's when admin lady does the I hope I believed in you thing. And Jesse says, that was stupid. And then he she leaves. As well she should. And the the look on her face and the her body language. I have to say that in terms of this actress, everything about the way she moves and the way she looks. She's doing a fantastic she's job. She's so repressed. And, but I mean, just those, those moments when, you know, you can see that there's words that want to come out of her mouth and she just, mm-hmm. they're not happening. Yeah. And so that, again, is brings me back. And by the end, Jesse is ripping up the floorboards and digging through the dirt, calling for Eugene to come back. Yeah. Um, which, again, I don't think he understands how alternate dimensions work. Hell's not actually literally in the ground. I think on one level, he probably knows that extremely well and on the other level it, at this point he doesn't care because I think mm-hmm. I think we've been watching this episode we've been watching him crack mm-hmm. and this is the point where he goes a little crazy yeah and I think this is the point where Jesse has to go because at 
yes, Jesse is the bad guy. Right. And Jesse's got to stop being the bad guy because he's got to go put Cassidy out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, by the time all this is happening, it's nighttime. Cassidy's fine. This is true. Or, you know, get, get Cassidy a, some, a trip to the blood bank or something. But, well, let's just let Cassidy have one of... Yeah, Odin Odin Cannon's men who are all coming. And the best part is, is that uh, our BDSM husband is wearing his Civil War reenactment clothes. Yes, that was just—I don't even know what to do with that. That's that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a real problem here, right? Um, And we still have so much story we have not even begun to touch. I mean, at this point, at this point, Jesse is. Jesse is still telling himself that this is something that he can be using for good. For good, for God's will. And without But he doesn't understand what that could possibly be in any feasible way. Well, and and forced faith mm-hmm. is not faith. Right. That's a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And those generally don't work out well. Right. Again, but then you know he did it wrong, like because serve serve the what is it serve God or serve the Lord, whatever serve he was, God. yeah, whatever it was that he said to Odin Kincannon obviously did not work. Well, but again, if the question is who, what God, God Odin, yeah. Odin's God is not the Christian God. There's, I mean, I I don't think that it's pretty obvious that it's not God the way that Jesse envisions it. Right, and let's you know. Je- Jesse needs to understand that these things require qualifiers. Yes. Serve God, and by God, yes. I mean the Judeo-Christian merciful God, as opposed to the Judeo-Christian burn in hell, fire and brimstone, angry God, which is an Old Testament thing, but is used by a lot of uh, right-wing religious preachers in, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you almost have to have like a pair. It's the apple Agreement. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's that kind of document. I'm going to read you something very quickly. <laughs> Just, and because yeah. that's otherwise, I mean, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, because ultimately, if we if we get anything resembling Jesse's cross country quest to get answers from God, the vo- the, the the voice of God, the, the power of Genesis will become very useful. And will, you know, the ability to just tell someone to do yeah. something will has its advantages. But right now, here in this town, in this church that he seems to want to hold on to. Right. With the people around him that he cares about. Or air quotes cares about. Because I don't really think that Jesse cares about any of these people. I don't think that he feels for them what he feels thinks he's supposed to and i think that's a part of his problem i you know you yes i can see that very easily i think i think we're gonna have to jesse's going to have to be forced to realize how much he cares about these people yeah to remember what tulip means to him yeah to value just to value cassidy's friendship to keep admin lighting from dying terribly so she I, I tell you what i'm gonna be very you just just as you said that eugene needed to be rocked to cuddled to sleep by ki- by puppies um cuddled to sleep by puppies which i'm not so sure about now considering you know but still he yeah. he's he, he is on his own redemption arc right um if admin lady has to die so that jesse can understand his place in the world i'm gonna be pretty pissed off 
Because in some respects, she is one of the few... Actually, she is the, the most innocent character on the show now. Yeah. She's the one She's the one who is the least... Oh, let me qualify that. As far as we know, she is. She could reveal her own Well, no, I think that we secret. got her big, deep, dark secret episode when um, Mayor showed up or to babysit her kids so she could do all that stuff for Jesse. And then, um, like... They had sex, and she was like, "You know, I don't love you, right? You know, this is never going to happen, right?" And he was like, "Yes." Okay, yeah, but that's not like a deep dark secret. That's not yeah. like tulips. You know, I built a bazooka out of some kid's pantry supplies and <laughs> killed a man. You know, <laughs> right? But I, I think in a way it can be. Well, if, yes, it could potentially for her be that very uh-huh. thing. But I'm going to be really, really annoyed if if she is if. How this show, you know, gets Jesse to care about the world is to is to kill her. Because she's one of those characters that just, you know, I, she needs she needs to survive till Jesse leaves town, and then when he comes back, she's like, you know what, I really loved you, and I, you just need to stay over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Part of me, part of me feels like. Well, maybe it's maybe it's The Walking Dead for seven seasons, six seasons mm-hmm. that makes me feel like this. But I feel like the longer that somebody who has genuinely good and altruistic feelings mm-hmm. survives on this show, the worse they're going to get. I feel like that they're going to that this show either. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, OK. Because I'm not seeing yet that this show is going to be about Jesse's redemption. Well, in many respects, I think the comic isn't about Jesse's redemption either. The comic is about Jesse's revenge. Right. And that stuff does not usually lend to keeping perky, sweet girls around who are just there to help because they're just so puppy dog in love with you. That usually ends up having those girls die horribly so you can realize that you'd be having them be refrigerated so that you can realize that you know you have a higher calling or leads those women down carol's road into that morally gray dangerous area right and i just don't see her going down i don't i feel like i feel like this is going to be i feel like you're exactly right i think this is going to be a situation where she is going to have something really bad happen to her. And And that's going to make Jesse, because, because he justified Eugene. He justified Eugene to Cassidy. Like I'm not going to, if, if God's will is for another sinner to burn, it's not my job to. Right. But so this is going to be, it's going to have to be something else. We saw him, we at the same time, we also saw him digging through the church floor. Cause I think, Mm -hmm. I think he's snapping. I think he's he's not able to maintain this illusion to himself that this is somehow God's will. Yeah. Because he knows which God he's talking about. To him, that is very much the Christian God. And the God of the Bible. And yeah. the God of, you know, how you treat your fellow man. And, and you know, it is, despite the fact that, yes, again, we have another episode where the word Jesus is only in there as a, as a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who he's talking about. So, 
yeah, I, I, unfortunately, odds are good she's probably going to have to die terribly. Yeah. Because we also have, if, if the situation in the um, uh, people who killed Jesse's father are, in fact, Jesse's grandmother and her part of her clan, mm-hmm. um, they come back later when Jesse's an adult and basically convince Jesse that they've killed Tulip. Or no, no, that they, he has to come with them or they will kill Tulip. So he ends up stuck. He ends up back with his grandmother again, and she's even worse 20 years later. I have no context for this. Yeah, so we'll see what happens because, I mean, it's she's a monster. I mean, she's yeah. she's she's a monster like we haven't seen yet. Um, so I know it's it's. It's a it's, lot, you guys. It's still one of the best shows on television right now. Though. It's been it's been good, and I've not heard anybody, any other blogs complaining too much about it. So that's nice. Um, we're funnier than they are. Oh, definitely. The body count is about to get really high, though, because we got we saw the we saw in the in the in the teaser for next week jesse with an assault rifle and odin's men coming up toward the church and cocktails and bullet holes in the church walls and it's gonna be um a hot time in the old town and and apparently the potential Mm. of getting eugene back from hell so thanks for listening folks thank you dustin yes thank you if you found us on podcasts.com thank you uh, we can see the numbers on that. If you have found us on iTunes, we cannot. So if you would be so kind as to rate us and leave a comment, tell us you liked it, tell us you didn't like it. We li- hope you like it. But anyway, thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week on our next Apocalypse Now. What are you doing? I don't know. It's 1130. <laughs> We've been talking about TV shows for two hours. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. This has been a presentation of HorrorForMe.com. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 